Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Stump Mike on ESPNCookInfo.com. I'm Andrew McGlashan and again I'm joined by Alex Malcolm and Anesha Ghosh as we look back on the historic day-night test between Australia and India. The game ended in a draw with the weather having a major say in that over the first two days, but India dominated the game from first ball to last and even caused Australia a little scare on the final day as they nervously passed the follow-on target. It leaves the multi-format series standing at 6-4 in Australia's favour, heading into the T20s later this week, which carry two points apiece. Let's get straight into it and let's start at the beginning of the game with the innings that define the Test match, really. Uh, Smithy Mandana's fantastic 127, a wonderfully constructed innings full of magnificent uh, stroke play on both sides of the wicket. And Anesha, uh, I'll come to you first, someone who's followed uh, Mandana's career very closely up to now. Uh, what did you make of that innings and where does it stand amongst the innings uh, she's played in international cricket? She's had a 100 previously in Australia and it was what announced her arrival on the international stage. This was uh, in Hobart a few years ago. For that bespectacled kid to have come this far, you know, hers has been a really topsy-turvy ride. She's always looked the, uh, you know, kind of player who would get your big runs on a consistent basis, her awards and accolades. She's uh, She was the 2018 ICC Women's Cricketer of the Year and uh, the Arjuna Awardee in India the same year. So you can tell that she's had that trajectory where she's oozed oodles of promise and yet she's disappointed herself by falling short of her own expectations, what the team had been expecting of her. After that opening ODI went. Mithali Raj said that I want my openers to give us the start we need, 50 runs at least in the power play. Come the second ODI, she puts in a performance that not just impresses her captain, but actually puts India on the path to breaking Australia's streak. That was an 86. And in the test match, for her to have overcome all of the break in concentration that the unscheduled break sort of forced. The rain had been looming since, you know, the build-up of the test match. And yet, learning from her mistakes and India's mistakes in the England test where she went on to actually say on record that we need to learn how to build, rebuild the momentum after, uh, you know, nearing the close of an innings or just after the start of an innings because that's where you're most susceptible to losing your wicket. She made good on that promise. India made good on that promise. And uh, thanks to her teammates, as she went on to say that, they kept reminding her that her 70-odd runs at the start of the first break were really nothing. She had to go out there, get all the concentration, all the focus she could muster from within herself and start from the scratch which she did, and it certainly rates among her best international hundreds for it has come after a long, long time. Her last hundred was back in January 2019, so you can imagine that this was a player who was expected to deliver for her team, for herself, and she's finally come good on that front, and uh, a maiden test hundred is always a great occasion. To get it in Australia against Australia perhaps makes the instance even better. Uh, Alex, what stood out for you uh, from the innings? And it was a she was a player we spoke about during the ODIs. I mean, her timing was outstanding um, at the start of this innings. What elements of her batting sort of sort of impressed you the most? 
Uh, nothing really surprised me. I'm a huge uh, Smriti Mandana fan. She just has so much time and she's got all of the array of the strokes that you need to play well at international level in all three forms. And she, her play off the back foot was just outstanding. And the, the way she just picked the Aussies apart, particularly on day one, and then went on with it on day two. I was actually really impressed with how she played Ash Gardner. She's had trouble with Gardner. Gardner worked her over in the ODI series and has knocked her over six times in international cricket now. And I thought she was very, very patient to her and didn't, didn't try too much, just played the lines, played with the spin as opposed to playing against the spin, um, just picked her marks. And, and that was really impressive, as Anesha touched on, just taking the responsibility on her shoulders as in my opinion, and I, I think it's probably fair to say she's the best player in that Indian side by quite some margin, to take the responsibility on and construct an innings which the team can then build their entire total around. It was a very, very impressive display. And honestly, I thought she was on for 200. I, I really felt like she was going to kick on and go even further. And you could see there was a little bit of frustration when she got out too that, that perhaps she'd thrown away a, a huge score and I wouldn't put a pastor in the future. If India are lucky enough to play a lot more women's test cricket, she could be someone who makes a double century in, in international test cricket for her country. Um, this is a slightly broader question I'm going to ask now, and I'll come back to Anesha uh, for this. Um, Hon and Preet Kaur is captain of the T20 side. We don't quite know her fitness status as yet, but just looking ahead, it is, is uh, and did, this could well have been Matali Raj's last test match. Just looking ahead, do you think Smithy Mandana has the makings of a future India captain, Anesha? She's the vice captain of the Indian T20I side. And in Harman Preet's absence, she was deputizing in the test match along with Mithali Raj as well. She's the captain in waiting. Let's put it that way. You know, Let's make it very clear because uh, it's it was expected that after Mithali Raj sort of calls it a day, one of either Harman Preet or Smriti would take the reins in the longer formats. And it could well be that uh, Harman Preet remains the T20I captain, though it's a bit of a speculation on my part. But from what I have sensed within uh, you know, the Indian uh, e ecosystem, the Indian women's cricket ecosystem is, there is a strong possibility, especially after the performances that we saw on the Australian tour in the longer formats, that it might well happen that uh, Smriti Mandana leapfrogs Harman Preet Kaur to the ODI and test captaincy. If Mithali Raj quits after the World Cup, 2022 ODI World Cup, and she's led Maharashtra on the domestic circuit, she leads a team in the three-team women's T20 challenge, which is run by the BCCI as a precursor to the women's IPL. And whenever a women's IPL comes along, I expect her to you know, rack up big money in terms of uh, the marquee players because she has been the poster girl of Indian women's cricket since the start of the 2017 World Cup when her form actually sort of, uh, you know, kicked off in fascinating manner. She got two hundreds, if I'm not mistaken, and then her form tapered off a little bit. And she's got 5 million followers on Instagram and she put out a little video uh, on her Instagram feed after that 100, mind you, after the test 100 uh, in Karara. So you can say that, you know, there's big money riding on her. I can tell you from what I've spoken with the sponsors, uh, etc. She is the captain in waiting. And it's just a matter of time, I think, that the Indian management will take a call on this. 
I don't see her taking up captaincy uh, while Mithali Raj is still very much a presence in the Indian setup. But yes, uh, we don't know what the status of Harman Pete's fitness is. Smriti Mandana is also the youngest ever T20I captain in India. So um, we could see her actually take up that role again should Harman Pete not be present. But uh, Smriti Mandana should in at least uh, a year and a half's time be the designated captain in at least one form. Well, her innings gave India that control, which they didn't relinquish at all uh, during the game. There were so some questions raised about the tempo that they played the latter part uh, of that innings, particularly on the third day uh, when they were still batting uh, because of the rain. It, it was entirely up to them, in a sense, how they wanted to play that game, having got into such a strong position. But Alex, do you think they could have pushed harder? Was there a little bit too much focus on that third day of wanting to take the new ball under lights? Because I say that because when they took the new ball yesterday on the final day, Meghna Singh still swung it round corners and almost had Australia following on. So a degree of hindsight in this, but could they perhaps have just moved the game on a little bit more on that third on that third day? They possibly could. I think it in those situations in Test cricket, I think it comes down to the personnel that are out there at the time. And sometimes you don't have the particular batsman with the capability, or batters, I should say, uh, with the capability to push the game on as as you want them to. And and with without someone like Snay Rana, perhaps, who has the power to really elevate the run rate and, and get the match moving in that way, uh, perhaps they didn't have that option. I mean, Deepthi Sharma has those capabilities, but Australia bowled a lot better on that third day as well. My personal opinion is I don't think Australia had any argument. We did hear Elisa Healy say on mic it would be nice if if the Aussies can get a chance to bat. They dropped seven catches, took a wicket off for no ball, having sent India in. They were in no position to dictate terms. And, and India really could have done exactly what they wanted in, in that scenario. They'd been sent in. They are the underdogs going into this series and in this test match. They played beautifully. They had every right to take the game deep and then back their quicks in. And, uh, I mean, ultimately, there was 98 overs lost in the game. Um, it, it would have been very difficult to force a result either way um, in those scenarios. So I, I didn't mind it. But, again, it comes down to the personnel that are out there at the time and their ability based on what their instruction has been from the captain and the coach as to whether or not they can push the game ahead. We'll come back to a few of the other India performers in a moment, but I just want to turn a bit more to Australia now. Uh, before we discuss their performances, let's just hear what head coach Matthew Mott um, had to say reflecting on the result after the final day's play. Yeah, I think the first word would be frustrating. I think uh, for a while there we've been you know, looking forward to this. Um, we knew India would be a great challenge for us um, and we thought we'd, we'd hit, hit um, sort of happy times winning the toss and the wicket looked, had a tinge of green in it. We had a very good pace attack. Um, but we probably just missed our mark in the first hour and they got away to a really good start. And um, from there on, we just felt like we were clawing it back a little bit. I thought India played really well. Mendana's innings was, was exceptional. Um, but, uh, you yeah, know, we just, we were behind the game for the rest of the game, to be honest. And uh, they held all the aces. They, um, they earned the right to probably put us under pressure. Um, and we just, yeah, we never really got back in the game. But I was really proud of the way we, we hung in there. We kept our standards right at the end. A lot of lessons out of it. I think our catching was was a bit of an issue. Obviously, had probably up upwards of eight chances in the first inning. So the bowlers created the opportunities. Um, 
but unfortunately in this game we weren't good enough to capitalise. So left to rue that. But um, batting wise, you know, we were under the pump today. We showed a bit of fight, I think, uh, you know, making sure we got past that follow on because that could have made it really interesting. Um, but yeah, Elise Perry again showed her skill and determination to get through and get us over the line there. And then from there on in, it was probably just uh, there was only going to be one winner. So I think we did what we had to do. So Alex, we heard there from from Matthew Mott, a pretty frustrated coach. You've all, you've already mentioned the the drop catches in your previous answer. I just wanted to focus a little bit on the on the first hour. Basically, it felt like that really defined the Test match in so many ways. India were seventy without loss after that first hour. Mandana already had a fifty or fifty one balls, and from there, um, as Matthew Mott said, Australia were just always clawing um, their way back. Is that how you read it? Is that really where? having won the toss and put them in, is that really where Australia saw any potential early advantage slip away? Yeah. The three drops that came against Shafali Verma, actually, in the third over, landing low to a right at slip off uh, Elise Perry. Uh, Shafali was dropped at slip off Molyneux in the 16th over and uh, Sutherland dropped her at mid on in the 18th over. I mean, the game had pressed forward by that, by that stage, but that third over miss was probably the one. Because then you get an early look, ball still swinging, uh, but it was a it was understandable. And you had two teenagers on debut, both of which had never played any long form cricket of any description. Darcy Brown said on the second day she'd never fielded in her life for that long, so it's very understandable that having played a lot of white ball cricket, where you have the ring protection, you have fielders on the fence, um, batters are coming at you, you don't ever have to be in a scenario where you're forcing the game with disciplined, accurate bowling that builds pressure with attacking fields. It's just a completely new experience. And bowling to a player of uh, Mandana's quality, if you miss, she put she put them away. Anything fractionally short, it disappeared both through point and square leg. It was a phenomenal innings. And the Australian bowlers, the, particularly the two um, quick bowlers, the youngsters, they'll learn a lot. They just had to bowl fuller. They had to attack off stump a little bit more. They have to learn from what Julian Goswami and Meghna Singh did. They bowled beautifully with that new ball. And Goswami is the, is the benchmark, really, of women's international cricket as far as fast bowlers go. She just hits the channels, stands the seam up, asks questions of the front pad and the outside edge. It's it's masterful to watch. And um, the Australian girls will learn a lot from watching that, I think. Uh, you've you've clearly seen the notes I have in front of me, Alex, because that was the perfect segue into the next question um, I was going to ask, and I'll bring Anesha back in for this because it sort of links with the discussion of Australia's bowling, but also with India's. And I just wanted to talk about Julian Goswami a little bit, particularly Anesha and her battles with Alyssa Healy, which I thought were one of the highlights of this test match, particularly that one in the first innings, kind of the spell we'll all remember. I think it was only actually four deliveries before um, Healy nicked off, but it was it was a terrific example of what Alex just talked about there of an experienced fast bowler working over a very high quality top order batter. I mean, just what did you make of uh, of Goswami and what could well be her final Test match as well in terms of the tone she set and in a way showed Australia what they'd got wrong with the ball. Well, first things first, Nasha. I think it would be a bit of a shame if if this happens to be her final Test or even Mithali's because I think. By now, it's incumbent upon the BCCI to actually hold a home travel test, given what they have achieved in Australia. If that doesn't happen, it really would be a bit of a disservice to both of these legends of the game, especially the way they marshaled the resources in Australia. 
just only two sessions of training with the pink ball yet they dominated this match uh, pretty much most of the sessions julian goswami well what took me by surprise is uh, earlier this year during the home series against south africa she looked like she had found a different gear in her bowling and this was india's first assignment after 364 days they were playing their first international series after the t20 world cup final india had gone through a terrible phase of covid by then we've been you know in one lockdown after another and there were barely any opportunities to train and she's a fast bowler 38 years old and uh, she lives in my native city my home city kolkata and i would speak to her you know on and off during the lockdown as to how you are keeping yourself fit uh, are you able to even hit the nets the cricket association of bengal were really alert and active proactive on their part they let julian go to the eden gardens once in a while and get whatever little training she could as they did with the other uh you know high profile men's players in the bengal ranks ridhiman saha did some work with them as well um the indian men's wicket keeper come that south africa series julian in the absence of uh, a shikha pande who was curiously dropped from that series there were newbies rookie quicks coming into the side she led the charge as you would expect of her did reasonably well well you know surpassed most expectations we would because she was swinging the wide ball as as that was a toy in her hand and then in england she replicated that although she wasn't quite as successful as she would have hoped to be in that one of test against england but she was effective nonetheless but come the australia tour here is somebody who is actually in the twilight of a career and uh, actually showed australia how to bowl in the twilight session how would you expect uh, an australian batting lineup that has faced indian bowlers on so many occasions we all know that you know famed landing dispersal where julian goswami took the top of her off in the 2017 world cup semi final so she is not an unknown proposition as meghna singh was or pooja vatsakar was to a certain extent yet for her to pull up one surprise after another and uh, that battle with alisa hayley just goes on to show that not only is julian a master of a craft but she's probably learned a few tricks with the pink ball that none of the rookie or established quicks particularly in ellis perry was able to pick up early and the fact that there was this attacking approach from the indian captain which is very refreshing to see i mean not always do you see a mithali dutch probably there was a bit of a bit of a help coming from the vice captain smriti mandana as well but their field settings was attacking for the best part of the match which was quite refreshing to see from an indian side they had the short uh, you know they had the slips in place there were the there were the short legs and the gullies and the silly points both, both for spinners and uh, pace bowlers alike but julian seems to have really uh, taken it on herself to make sure that whatever number of matches she gets to play before that dreaded day for indian cricket when she'll actually hang up her boots she wants to really give whatever she can to this team because she's always been a terrific team player impeccable work ethic almost she will go to training as though it was her first day in the indian setup she's been that diligent in her uh, conduct as a senior player 
she doesn't play t20i so we've seen the last of her in this tour but you can see her cheering the indian setup on from the dressing room come the t20i leg because julian goswami is and always has been uh, the senior that has wanted to spur the juniors on and uh, yeah this was by far one of her top performances in her gallery of outstanding performances across a near 20 year 20 year international career you you mentioned there nisha the the day that indian cricket will fear when she finally does hang up the boots so with that in mind how how important and encouraging was the performance of meghna singh and pooja vastraka in, in that game i mean as alex touched on uh, earlier in the chat there was there was no pressure let up from the india attack right throughout which certainly on the first day is one of the problems australia had goswami it's huge shoes to fill in that india attack going forward but will one of the biggest gains from this tour be the performances of meghna and vastraka going forward the best way to summarize their impact would be borrowing a line from alisa hilly's press conference from the third day she said that the omission of shikha pande who's done reasonably well against australia was a bit of an out of syllabus question for them because they had prepared for this uh, second senior most quick in india's ranks and she sat out all four matches that shows that india have indeed found somebody they could rely on on a more long term basis and they've not just found one pace bowler on that count pooja vastrakar who has been pegged back time and again because of a spate of injuries she spoke quite you know passionately about uh, how it had been for her when there was this acl tear some other you know niggle in some other part of the body the other day she missed out on world cup selection a couple of years ago so it's not been a smooth ride for somebody like a pooja vastrakar but credit to the indian team ramesh bawar especially going by what pooja said how the indian head coach had backed her and given given her the kind of insights she needed on her load up and also how her right arm the bowling arm would be not going too far back which she felt was really hindering her overall impact such tweaks in techniques has what uh, really made a difference in pooja's performance as per her own assessment of uh, her outings both in england and australia meghna singh has been a revelation since ball one her outswinger to alisa hilly was mind boggling and it wasn't a surprise that the outswinger she bowled uh, in the test match to take out annabel sutherland would be as terrific it was a feature for delivery nasha you were on comms india have had some positive takeaways on the pace bowling front because ramesh pawar had mentioned it clearly that they need younger talent to come in the under 19 tournament is currently underway in the domestic setup in india the women's competition there is an under 19 world cup in 2023 the inaugural edition i can vouch that there has been a lot of recruitment and scouting going on especially for young pace bowling talent in these tournaments as well meghna singh is in her middle to late 20s vastrakar has also been out there for a long period of time so their performances is definitely a positive julian goswami as we just discussed won't be around in the international team forever they have to really build on th- these 
performances now both Meghna Singh and Pooja Vastrakar and Pooja Vastrakar has added that balance to the team as a lower or lower middle order pinch hitter as well so it's been a really positive tour for India as far as picking those important boxes heading into the ODI World Cup next year and it should actually inspire more boards to consider slotting in that standalone test fixture at least one fixture in any tours, any bilateral series that they plan uh, in the near future. India do not have anything to play until about early uh, next year when they tour New Zealand. So whether they play in New Zealand, that remains anybody's guess. But there could be a chance that Julian Goswami and Mithali Raj actually play another test before eventually hanging, hanging up the boots. Well, that would be terrific to see. Alex, I just want to jump back to the Australian debutants for a moment. I know you touched on a few of them in your earlier answer. It was Annabelle Sutherland, um, Darcy Brown, Stella Campbell and Georgia Wareham who were handed their first caps, all of them obviously playing a part in the bowling attack at times. It felt as though Meg Lanning almost had too many bowlers, eight options. I know that was partly predicated on the fact that they'd replaced Rachel Haynes with an all-rounder as opposed to a batter. But just on those four debutants, how would you assess how they went and and who perhaps produced the most eye-catching performance out of the four for you? I thought clearly Annabelle Sutherland in the first innings uh, bowled really well. I thought Stella Campbell got better and better as she moved into her work. Uh, One of her spells, I can't remember, it must have been either the second or third day where she really cranked up the pace, bowled a couple, she bowled a cracking bouncer to... uh, 124 Ks, I think think she hit. Almost took her head off. That was was outstanding to see. She's she's got so much upside, uh, Stella Campbell, and has the pace and the height uh, that, you know, she could become the Goswami type with that extra gear of pace because she's just got, you know, that extra ball speed that Julian doesn't have, particularly, you know, given her her youth and uh, exuberance, she's got a lovely run up. And so, yeah, there was plenty of positives. Um, you, you touched on a point there. It was difficult for Meg Lanning. I do think having too many options was a problem. I'd be Curious on your thoughts, Nasha, but it looked at times she didn't quite know what to do with her attack. And, I mean, the fact that Georgia Wareham only bowled eight overs in the first innings was, was pretty telling. She just didn't know how to use her because she was getting the containment from the veterans in Molyneux. Well, I say veterans in inverted commas, but veterans in Molyneux and Gardner. And they were the ones that were doing the holding work and, and Molyneux bowled sensationally well. Um, but, you know, balancing the others and setting the right fields for them to give them the support was an issue for Meg Lanning. I'd be curious on, on what you thought on that. Well, I thought clearly Lanning was forced away from plan A and plan B very quickly, almost within that hour. And she almost had to bowl Molyneux and Gardner in tandem for long periods just to bring an element of control. I can't believe that plan A would have had Gardner bowling necessarily 30 overs in the first innings of a day-night test match. Clearly, there are a couple of good matchups for her. The, the Smitty-Mandanar one we've spoken about, but at times it felt as though her only option was to try and stem the run scoring at times. And actually, I think it's a huge credit to how India bowled. It felt as though, even though Matali Raj only had a five-prong attack, she had more wicket-taking options or more confidence in those wicket-taking options now. That can be a bit of a chicken and egg argument because they bowl better. Therefore, they felt as they were going to take more wickets. So kind of almost which comes first. It'd be quite rare for a captain to say they have too many options. And it was interesting that Matthew Mott mentioned last night that there was an element of, of 
wanting to keep an eye on the on the bowling loads, particularly the youngsters. Um, I think I don't think Darcy Brown bowled more than a four-over spell in the test match. I'm not sure if Stella did either, which is quite sensible. We've talked a lot over the last few weeks about the build-up, the lack of four-day cricket they have. So I can kind of understand the thinking and the makeup of the attack, although I do think seven is probably enough in any situation. I, I guess the other thing to remember is that the likes of Talia McGraw and Ash Gardner absolutely justify their place as batters alone. Um, I thought they both played very good innings. Actually, McGraw cut a long hop to point, unfortunately, but I thought Ash Gardner played superbly for that 50. So it's kind of a, a curious nature to make up Australia of Australian cricket at the moment that a lot of the players coming through are all-rounders. Uh, and that's perhaps a debate for another time as well about that next generation of player coming through, specialising. I mean, Georgia Redmayne was the other specialist batter in this squad and they decided not to pick her. You'd think that Rachel Haynes will come back in for the Ashes Test match. So there'll be a bit more natural balance uh, to the side. But yeah, it did feel a bit too overweighted um, for options. And maybe maybe having slightly fewer options would kind of focus the mind, both of the bowlers um, and of the captain. Uh, just one of the all-rounders I want to pick up on as well. And I'll throw back to you, Alex, uh, for a bit on this. Um, is Elise Perry. We talked about her coming into the series. We did think the Test match game would allow her to settle and would suit her. It played out that way. I thought her bowling got better and better uh, as the game went on. And then with the bat, she just showed what a terrific uh, technical player she is, an extraordinary run-scoring record going back to 2017, uh, where she averages, averages now something like 460, having only been out once <laughs> in that time, uh, past 5,000 runs, 300 wicket double. It just it just felt, didn't it, that it, the format that suits her, what we've talked about, giving these players more chances in test match cricket. They all deserve it. But when you look at a record like Perry, she is just a player who you want to see more in this long format because it is just made for her as a cricketer. Yeah, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. It's made for her as a cricketer because that's how she developed. Her father was a great cricketer at Sydney and she developed her game through long, long sessions in the nets, just hitting a lot of balls and learning honing her technique and building a technique that protects her off stump, which is very different to a lot of the other techniques in the Australian top order. I mean, Beth Mooney was exposed, so is Elisa Healy. Um, and, and very difficult, I must say, and I, you don't want to be too critical uh, for these players to transition from white ball cricket straight into uh, pink ball or long form cricket, red ball cricket, depending on what type you're playing particularly for someone like Mooney, who had played so beautifully in Mackay, a runnable 100 to win the game in the second ODI, then a magnificent half century in the third one. She is flying, wanting to hit the ball, see ball, hit ball, go at the bowlers. And you could just sense that she just wanted to get going against Goswami and Meghna Singh, and they didn't give her anything. And so, of course, she tried to turn something from Goswami that wasn't there. It wasn't a half volley. It was a really good length ball tried to go too square with it, lost her off stump. So that that's the difference with Perry is that she knows how to get back into that test match mode to protect her off stump, to play with patience. She understands that she can bat the time because she does so much physical prep to ensure that physically and mentally she can handle facing 250, 300, 350, 400 deliveries, which is a very specialised skill. She did have some luck. She she, she didn't uh, she she didn't play perfectly by Elise Perry standards, which I think a lot of people in the game had had quite a lot of luck. I mean, Gardner was dropped. Obviously, uh, Mundana played the great innings, but you know she was caught off a no ball. 
Um, but yeah, it, it, she she's a cut above in terms of the long form players for Australia, and I think a lot of the Australian players need to follow her blueprint when they play Test cricket to to just spend time at the crease and understand runs will come, the bad balls will eventually come. You just have to put yourself in a position to take advantage of it and not try and force the issue too much. Just before we quickly um, chat about the T20i series before we wrap up, um, just. To throw back to you, Alex, Australia's next test is the Ashes one in late January. I mentioned Rachel Haynes before. You would also expect, wouldn't you, Jess Jonathan and Megan Schutt to come straight back into the team if they are available. So likely to to seem a significantly different Australia side when they line up against England. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they do it. Um, how they, whether they, with that extra depth in batting because Jonathan obviously lengthens the lineup with the bat and the ball, whether they might actually stick with the two young fast bowlers to use them as weapons. Um, so potentially a Georgia Wareham might lose her spot. Uh, they've just got so many options and almost too many options. They do need to really work out what is the best balance of their side. I think they do need a specialist top water player. My personal opinion is, and this is not a knock on Elisa Healy, I just think it's way too big an ask for your wicket keeper to open the batting in Test match cricket. As good as she is against new ball bowling, particularly piercing the field, you need that break. She she wicket kept for 145 overs over two and a half days and then had to walk straight back out and bat again. And for her to then turn around and try and put together a 200, 250 ball, 300 ball innings to make 120, 130, 150, it's just too big an ask. And and I, I think she would be better served batting in the middle order and having a specialist opener. That's my personal opinion, but I think Haynes would balance the side a fair bit more. And, then, and they they can get a bit more creative with their attack because they've got two bankers. Jonathan and Shoot are bankers. They can bowl 30 overs apiece and tie ends down and then they can sort of mix and match around that. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out um, come the new year. Anesha, I'll just come back to you. We'll just quickly touch on the T20i series. Um, Australia, it is in their court to sort of take take the overall series. They are 6-4 up, but it feels like the momentum is with India. I mean, but if it hadn't been for that no ball in the um, last over in the mm. second game in Mackay, you'd have said that India would have won the last six days of this, uh, of this tour, which is quite a significant um, achievement. Do you think they'll have the confidence that they can win that T20I series and uh, and take the overall trophy? Certainly, Nasha, the series is nicely poised. I think India have been the more consistent and less volatile side between the two through the uh, longer formats leg. There is obviously uh, a very real chance of India actually uh, pipping Australia to winning those final few points which can give them the lead and eventually the India-Australia Women's Series Trophy. That's what the trophy is called. We do need a new name for that. Hmm. We certainly need a better name for that by the time they play next. <laughs> Absolutely. And there are so many options anyway, right? Um, so yeah, there, there is a strong possibility for them to uh, really put the marker down and uh, just push on from where they left off in the tests and in the ODIs as well. There will be a few changes that will dictate the flow of proceedings, whether Jamima Rodriguez gets a match because she has fielded for vast, uh, you know, hours, uh, you know, as a substitute. She didn't get a game in the ODI leg or um, or the test match. So I expect her to uh, play at least one match uh, 
if not all, because there's already Harleen Dior who has impressed and shown a, a formidable degree of consistency in the T20I format. She's seen as a bit of a T20I only player for the time being. Whether Poonam Yadav comes back or not, that remains to be seen because her form has again been a bit up and down. And unless Ne Rana is seen the uh, more incisive option, the more uh, potent wicket-taking option, and she also adds immensely as an all-rounder with her brisk hitting skills. Uh, I think Puna might slot back in. She was not part of the test. Rajeshwari Gaikwad will hold the key. Unfortunately, she remained wicketless after three innings because the many drops that Alex spoke of and you spoke of, uh, Rajeshwari was at the receiving end of so many of them. She could have at least three wickets by now and she's she has none to her name uh, by the end of the test. So the left arm spin uh, component again will come into play and I expect her to do well, really. India's fielding, well, we are back into coloured clothing and there will be some hiding in the field uh, uh, to be done on the part of India because we know <clears throat> cuffs that India have uh, had quite a few issues in the ODI leg with, with how they have dropped sitters and uh, how their some of their fielders have been really reluctant to go for catches, which, well, most um, sort of semi-okay fielders would also try and go for. There are a lot of uh, other considerations in the batting department as well, whether Yastika Bhatia gets a game or not. I think she should be rested now. She's had a run. She's impressed. Mithali Raj has been mighty impressed with her. She spoke of, you know, in her uh, evaluation after the test match as well. So maybe here's a chance if she gets at if she gets one at all for Jamima Rodericks to really uh, make, you know, good on. And uh, yeah, unless. Harmanpreet Kaur uh, makes some radical uh, decision-making in terms of the playing 11. I think we'll see what we saw uh, mostly in the England T20Is, save for Meghna Singh uh, coming into the lineup because she's an automatic pick in the absence of Julian Goswami, who retired from T20Is in 2018, and Pooja Vastrakar again, a key all-rounder. So India have really solved so many selection conundrums starting with that ODI leg. It's it's up to them now to really just go out there and hit the, you know, put the final nails uh, in the coffin, so to speak. Well, we'll look forward to that series. Australia, um, I also expect to have Taylor Valemic back um, as another fast bowling option. So it'll be really exciting to see her um, hopefully be able to uh, cut loose in those four over spells. We expected to potentially play two of the three matches uh, that wrap up What's been a very entertaining series so far. We'll see how the three T20s play out later this week and which side ends up walking away with this trophy that we hope will have a better name by the time the two teams play again. And hopefully when the two teams do play again, it is a series in India with a test match. Because I think what we've seen over the last four days is that we just want to keep seeing more of this. Um, two very talented sides. I think a lot closer in test match cricket than perhaps some people envisaged. Uh, they might have been. And I think that's one of the fantastic things to come out of the last four days at Metricon. I'll wrap up this show for now. Um, it's thanks to Alex and Inesha. We'll try to be back again um, after the T20Is to wrap up the series as a whole and see who takes away that prize. But for now, this has been Stunt Mike on ESPNCrickInfo.com.